We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. into the 2021-22 NBA season. Nick Whalen joined, as I always am, on Wednesdays by RotoWire's Alex Barutha. Uh, we are sponsored by WinBet. WinBet.com, your go-to source for sports wagering needs. Uh, they're the presenting sponsor of all the RotoWire fantasy podcasts this year. Uh, we are glad to be partnered up with WinBet.com. Uh, also, I, I don't know, we haven't mentioned this in like years, but please rate and review the podcast. I completely <laughs> forgot that that does matter. Uh, we every every year around this time we we like make a charge into like the top 200 top 150 um, you know on the podcast app on Spotify um, and ratings and reviews you know certainly help so we, we'd like to sustain that um, you know that kind of preseason draft season uh, rush to the RotoWire NBA podcast uh, we're gonna jump around a little bit as I think we'll probably do on most days um, especially early in the season when we don't have a lot of definitive takeaways uh, we'll hit some of the happenings from last night's five game slate. Uh, talk a little bit about tonight's slate. Some of the players who are are just randomly popping up. If you look at like the top 20 fantasy players in the league, and you see Al Horford and Harrison Barnes and Miles Bridges, uh, we'll, we'll hit on some of those hot starts. We'll hit on some players who are are off to slow starts. But before all of that, Alex, you went to a sports card show, I, I believe. Correct me if that's not the correct title for an event like this, but a a sports card gathering in Madison, Wisconsin over this past weekend. Give me the full review. Um, I, I think most people that listen to this probably collected sports cards or NBA cards at some point in their life. Um, I still have a binder back at my parents' house um, full of cards that are probably in terrible shape and not worth much, uh, but still have plenty of nostalgic value. But um, how did it go for you? What, what was your goal being there? What were the biggest takeaways? I mean, I, I had a ton of fun. I was only able to be there for a few hours since I had to to work shortly after. But um, like I spent three hours there and I could have spent probably three more. It was like it was it was so cool, man. Like 
even like for anyone that was collecting cards growing up, just even going and without the intention of buying anything and just kind of looking at the sort of like state of the hobby at this point, like all the different card designs and even just to see what the prices are. If you're like, if you've been out of it for a while is interesting. Um, I had a lot of fun. I brought most of my like semi valuable or just very valuable cards to potentially try to trade with people. Cause people are open to trade cards. People are open to dealing cash or PayPal. So you can kind of go back and forth with people. Um, I will say if you have like the intention to come in and like, Hey, I'm going to spend, you know, X amount of money on stuff. You have to be pretty informed. Like if you just go in blind and start buying stuff, like you're, you're probably not getting, you know, best prices on, on stuff, but most people like, you know, will just open up the, their, you know, eBay app on their phone and check like the last sold price of certain stuff. So everyone's kind of on an even playing field from, from that perspective. So there's no, like, you can't really rip someone off, you know, cause just, there's so much information. That's exactly what I was going to ask is how do you know, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, Hey, I have this Salim Stoudemire rookie card, <laughs> you know, Jersey card. It's probably worth, you know, right away in my mind, it's like, that's probably worth 10, $15,000. Like right. you're able to verify that uh, via eBay or is like, is there like an official source? You know, I, I know back in the day you used to have to buy, like, I think it was a Beckett magazine that yeah. would tell you what every card is worth. Like, is, is there an official source for that now? Or is it all based on recent trade value? It's all pretty much based on recent trade value. There are multiple ways you can go ahead and like check that, whether it be eBay or um, Joe and I, Joe Bartle, who I'm getting a, a table with for the next show. There's an app called Card Ladder, and they basically track the price of cards like stocks almost. You can check the last three months. You can see like highest sold, lowest sold price. There are other apps too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, th those are great too because you can check the rarity of the cards you know how many of this card has been graded like for example maybe you want to buy like a Nikola Jokic rookie um which are rare anyway because he was a second round pick so they just didn't overproduce them but if you can spend 150 dollars on a card that's you know there's like 500 of them have been graded you might be able to spend 150 bucks and get a card that there's only been like 12 of them graded and theoretically, you're getting more rare cards. And you will have no way of knowing that unless you just trusted the person who had it at the table or you're on one of these apps that tell you how rare the card is. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it was really fun overall. What was the coolest card that you saw? Um, not, uh, well, the card that jumped out to me right away because it was so ridiculous, not necessarily the coolest, was a Ty Jerome rookie. It was hmm. a, it's called a Zebra Prism extremely rare <laughs> i'm talking like maybe like they're numbered like one out of ten or something like this guy may have had one of only ten in the whole world ty jerome and i'm like i'm like i'm how much do you want for that and he's like well you know you never know because it's a it's just this such rare of a car like i think he wanted like hundreds of dollars for it just because of the rarity of the car even though it's a nobody um essentially but there were there were plenty of cool cards i don't think i saw I'm not sure I saw like a the kind of holy grail Jordan 1986 rookie, but mm. I didn't check every single table. Um, but I myself have an unopened 1986 pack that I will be bringing um, to the show with, in my opinion, maybe. I mean, I, it's not even a ridiculous price tag given what they've gone for on eBay. So um, I'll have a ton of Jordan cards to bring. So that will be that'll be good, at least. I think they'll bring people to the table. Okay, last thing before we move on. Is that 1986 pack more valuable unopened, or would you eventually plan on opening it in hopes that there are more valuable individual cards and then you sell those? I would not open that. It would, it would, 
it would drive me insane if I opened it and I didn't get anything. Plenty of people buy them with the intention of opening it. Maybe I'll get the Michael Jordan card, uh, some other valuable cards in there. But I just I would not open it like at the very peak of kind of the sports card bubble, which was taking place during the midst of covid, you know, like when crypto and cards in general, all that stuff was going up. That pack was going for like 10 grand unopened. Wow. Um, so I just wouldn't open it. Like maybe if you even if you get a Jordan and it grades as at nine, which is pretty rare anyway. I mean, obviously, you're talking like tens of thousand dollars more than that. But it's just to me, it's not worth the risk. It's something either you get and you sell when you make X amount of money or you just hold for 10 years and see maybe if you can, you know, I mean, maybe it goes back up to 10 grand. Like, who knows? You know, it's the card market like it goes up and down. So I, you know, I bought it for I bought it for what I thought was a great deal. And there is a price I'm willing to let it go for. Um, But again, I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to holding on to it. It'll at least bring people to the table. Right. And like have them stay at the table and maybe, you know, check out the other cards. So it'll at least be good to have out there. Oh, I never, I never thought about it that way. Like having to attract people to your table. Like, I, I don't know, maybe consider having like a, I don't know, like a JaVale McGee, like life-size <laughs> cutout or something, or some sort of bright lights that are, that are setting you apart. Uh, but we'll have to do another check-in uh, after, after this next card show. I'm, I'm very interested in this now as a, as somebody who's, who's, who was into sports cards and, and still it kind of is not quite enough to, to really dive back in, but um, talking to you about it these last few weeks has, has kind of, I think reignited the the sports card spark that was very much there from like third through seventh grade. <laughs> the Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Vivid Seats. Preseason basketball has wrapped up and we're ready for the regular season to tip off this week. Live events are making a comeback and there's no better place to be than Vivid Seats to get back into the action. So grab your NBA tickets and cheer on your favorite team from the stands. Man, that feels good to say. Even better, Vivid Seats just launched a new and improved rewards program with free tickets for every single fan. Earn rewards, ticket upgrades, and perks just for shopping with Vivid Seats. If you're looking for tickets to the game, your favorite artist, or that new show that everyone is talking about, Vivid Seats has it all. Visit vividseats.com, that's V-I-V-I-D-S-E-A-T-S, vividseats.com, or download the Vivid Seats app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. The new NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to kick off daily fantasy basketball. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contest now being offered shark-free. To celebrate the beginning of basketball season and Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo is giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit offer to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. In addition to the free credit, Yahoo will have a Friday main contest as well as single game contest all season long. Play in a single game contest of your choice throughout the week, then join our Friday main contest to compete for our largest cash prize. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to get started. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about the NBA. The Golden State Warriors are four and They're the well, they joined the Chicago Bulls as the only four and teams in the NBA right now. Um, th- those teams are are both red hot right now. Neither of them has played uh, an overly difficult schedule. I, I think Chicago, in particular, I mean, has looked really, really good. Um, but those those four wins so far have come against what Toronto, uh, which you know we'll talk about the Raptors, but kind of hard to figure out where they are right now. They beat Detroit. 
twice, and they beat the Pelicans, who are kind of a mess right now. So encouraging start for Chicago. Like everybody seems to be playing well. Everybody's meshing really well. Um, we'll see. You know, once they start it to get into the meat of that schedule and start playing some of the top seven, top eight teams in the East and, and get into some of the better teams in the West. But overall, I mean, it, I think I, I was fairly low on the Bulls. I feel like we were relatively aligned on them. I, I think a lot of smart people who evaluate the NBA, you know, love the Lonzo signing. You kind of like all these acquisitions as individual players, but together there were some question marks. Um, again, we'll see what happens when the competition cranks up. But I, I think if, if you're Chicago, like this is this is the best case scenario, right? I don't think they lost a game in the preseason either. Yeah, I think they're undefeated in uh, semi-competitive basketball, uh, at least. So, I mean, I, I feel like I was maybe one of the people who was like a Bulls optimist um, just because, like, I don't know. I just thought it would all fit together. It was a good amount of talent, like a lot of unselfish guys, uh, stretch five. I, you know, the, like you mentioned, the competition hasn't been great, but they, they've, I think, meshed better than people were expecting. Like, I think there was a lot of, hey, these guys, they kind of clash because they all want the ball, but they're all willing passers um, like DeRozan and, and Levine are athletic cutters. This is a team that's built to get out in transition, obviously, aside from Vucevic. Um, but yeah, man, they have they have defensive potential, too. I mean, Caruso and Lonzo Ball are out of their minds, like racking up defensive stats. So. I understand why people were hesitant to say like, oh, this team's going to be trash defensively, but ball Caruso are good defenders. Patrick Williams, all he does is defend. So, you know, three out of your five uh, kind of like most played guys are uh, at least average to above average defenders. So I think they have a lot of potential. I mean, at least in the playoffs, because they don't have a very deep rotation. To me, that's like the kind of their Achilles heel right now. But if they're in a playoff series and they're, they're really only playing seven, eight guys, I, again, it, it just it wouldn't shock me if they won a first round playoff series. I think that's very much in the cards. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know I keep harping on the level of competition, but at some point, and you know, preseason is preseason. Like this, this means something. You know, I mean, they it's not like they're just squeaking out these wins either. You know, they did almost blow that Toronto game, but they've looked. This looks like a team that's been playing together for like two or three years instead yeah. of two or three months. Um, and, and the depth is definitely a question. Um, you know, they will get Kobe White back at some point. That's going to be big. Uh, I still feel like there's like I'm not out on Kobe White. It's been kind of disappointing so far. He's had some injuries uh, that that have hampered him. I think the front court depth is more of the issue. You know, like Derek Jones is not really even in the nightly rotation right now. Like you're playing Javante Green probably more than you'd like. They don't really have a backup center. Nikola Vucevic almost missed last night's game uh, due to an illness, um, or, or maybe that was two nights ago. Um, and he ended up playing in that game. And I remember you know looking at their depth chart when we got that news. I was like, Am I about to write? Alizé Johnson might start this game, like Tony Bradley. They might have to call up Marco Simonovic from the G League. Like, they really don't have very much in terms of backup bigs. Uh, I will say, though, I like this team a lot more with Patrick Williams starting at the four than had they kept Laurie Markkinen and had him starting at the four. Like, I feel like that would have been one too many offense-first guys. And it's kind of nice when you when you have four offense-first guys, um, or at least three offense-first guys in, in Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic, and then kind of a, a two-way passive point guard in Lonzo, uh, and then you have a guy at the four who like just focuses on defense, like you said with Patrick Williams. I, I think if you had if you had had him coming off the bench and had Markin at the four, I, I don't think this looks as smooth as it has. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, this is the Bulls are very much a testament to like if if we can just shuffle talent around. Like, I mean, like I think Markin Markin is more talented right now than Patrick Williams. But again, like at some point you need defense. You need a guy who's who's unselfish, who's willing to catch and swing the ball and really just take open threes. 
Um, and he's also super young. Like they have to feel good about having him, you know, potentially long term. Um, but yeah, the depth that the depth at center is bad. It's like you mentioned, mostly Tony Bradley as backup center. Um, I guess they could play Patrick Williams at the five in a pinch if they had to. But I, if they keep playing this well and they're like the three or four seed, I mean, maybe there's a center somewhere on the, you know, maybe they can make a quick trade to get a backup center or grab someone off, uh, you know, free agency. That's that's not playing right now. Not that that's necessarily a deep list because centers get scooped up pretty quickly. But um, I've liked them. I, I've liked them since the, you know, before the start of the season when they signed everybody. And um, they're a fun team to watch. And I, I hope they keep winning. Yeah, I, I do weirdly find myself rooting for them, and I, I wouldn't consider myself a Bulls fan. Um, I, I think for most of my life, I was like an anti-Bulls fan because they terrorized the Milwaukee Bucks for a, a decent amount of time. I remember that one specific game. I think it was the Giannis-Mike Dunleavy game, right, where Giannis ended up getting suspended for the first game of the following year, and, and the Bucks were down like 45 points at one point, and I want to say it was like game four or game five of some you know, meaningless first round series. I think it was a series where Jared Bayless hit a, a game winning layup oh, uh, to give you some context as to where Milwaukee was at that point. But yeah, they've, they've been a really fun team to watch so far. Um, I mean, you look, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference right now are Chicago, Charlotte and New York. Not exactly three traditional powers in the last 20 years, but at three teams, like I, I think Chicago and Charlotte almost goes without saying those teams are really fun to watch. New York wasn't exactly fun to watch last year. They were just kind of like, you know, mundanely effective. And I feel like they're, they have that this year too. They're playing a lot like they were last year, but they seem like they're having a lot more fun. Like more Obi Toppin has been great. Um, you know, Julius Randle is basically doing exactly what he was last year, carrying the load for them. Evan Fournier has been a really nice fit. I was kind of worried that New York had one or two too many guys. And you know, maybe that's going to be the case throughout the year. You know, we'll, we'll see how much they end up being able to, to find time for guys like Emmanuel quickly. Um, but but this I find myself like really rooting for the Knicks night in night out. Maybe it's just the home crowd at MSG, but they they've looked really good so far too. Yeah, they have four. They have ten guys averaging at least fourteen minutes a game right now. Um, and that's the one thing about the Knicks, right? They're kind of the not the opposite of the Bulls, but they have a ton of depth. Like they just kept they loaded up on depth during the offseason. They got Kemba basically for free. Derek Rose is still there. You mentioned Toppin playing a little bit more with with Nerlens. Uh, I don't think Nerlens has played yet. Um, yeah, man, they're, they're fun. I mean, it's when, when the, uh, when, when the Knicks are winning and MSG is crazy, um, it's, it's hard to get a better basketball environment than that, honestly. Um, and I think, I think the main thing, you know, that has to stick out for most people, uh, at least, well, I guess two main things, Julius Randle still playing really well. Um, you know, 26 points, 11 rebounds, six and a half assists, basically doing what he did last year. And then Mitchell Robinson is playing 31 minutes a game. Now that's without Nerland's Noel, but if he can continue being 30 plus minutes a game consistently, like that's what people have been hoping on Mitchell Robinson this whole time. Um, his block numbers are still lower than they used to be, but again, he's going to be insane from field goal percentage, great rebounder. And the, the blocks upside is still very high. Yeah. I think we almost have to readjust our expectations for Robinson. And we hit on this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about him, you know, in the pre-draft process, of like he, his his block rate was so insane his first two years that I think it set almost an unrealistic standard that as he became a more disciplined, well-rounded defender, it just wasn't going to be realistic that he was literally taking that many swings per game to try to block shots. And I mean, he was fouling like crazy. Um, he's probably a, a much better player right now than he was back then. But I feel like there's this 
there's like this impression that he's gotten worse and worse each year because the blocks numbers haven't been there. Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned he's just become a more disciplined player. And that's what happens when you play for uh, Tom Thibodeau or else you just like won't play. Um, and right now he's ranked 145th in, in eight category leagues. But it's so early in the season that those numbers are moving up and down like crazy every single game. So it's it's a little hard to gauge where you are right now. But if you drafted him with, you know, one of your last picks or your last pick, you're you got to feel good about what he's doing right now. Let's look at uh, some of the guys near the top of the fantasy rankings right now. If you look at eight category per game value, a lot of the household names um, right now, you know, Cat, Paul George, who had eight steals the other night. Uh, Stephen Curry, those guys are the top three. Nikola Jokic is in the top five as well. Uh, but the two that really stand out near the top are are Morant at six and Bridges at eight. Um, I mean, the Miles Bridges, I wouldn't even call it a renaissance because he was he was never really up to begin with. But, you know, he went from really nice role player, you know, playing like 20 minutes a night to had a really nice like 25 game run to end last season. But that was with Gordon Hayward out. Um, you know, PJ Washington, in theory, was still ahead of him coming into this year. They add another wing and Kelly Oubre. Um, I, I was lucky enough to actually get Miles Bridges as a waiver claim midway through um, last week. And it was in a 10 team league. Um, so, you know, not 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 exactly, um, you know, like the the sharpest pickup of all time. But I could believe he was available. And, and obviously that's paid dividends so far. I didn't really target Miles Bridges in the preseason much just because I, I thought there were going to be too many guys in that mix. I, I still thought there was a chance he'd come off the bench behind Washington. I thought if anything, they'd go Washington at the five bridges at the four. I thought Ubre would, would eat into that a little more. Um, maybe part of this is Terry Rozier has only played part of one game so far. You know, maybe that, that eats into his workload a little bit, but I mean, he's been so, so good and he's playing like 35 minutes a night that I don't, you know, I, I don't think the numbers are going to be sustainable, but I, I think the, the workload is going to be sustainable. Yeah, I mean, we were talking sports cards at the beginning of the show. Before the season, I bought 16 of his rookie cards for $16 total. So that uh, that is helping my mm. bank account. Um, yeah, I mean, he's taking 18 shots a game. You know, seven of which are from three. He's getting to the free throw line four times a game. I think, you know, he's someone that I've kind of viewed. I viewed him similarly as I thought he had the upside of a more athletic Tobias Harris, um, which I know doesn't sound like extremely favorable, but... Um, you know, in an offense that's kind of you know, headed by LaMelo ball, where it's like, you can just feed bridges. Bridges is just getting so many easy baskets from LaMelo ball. You know, he's getting 10 points a game, just handed to him that he only needs to, you know, he only needed to make marginal improvements on the rest of his offense and increase his volume a little bit to just become a, a way better player. And I, I think the volume will continue to increase. Like he, he is someone who I think, you know, he didn't, he didn't get an extension right in the, he, didn't get his rookie extension. Uh, I don't think he did. Um, so, you know, he's playing for that. And I think at this point, um, I'm not, I don't think he'll get a max contract, but he'll come back down to earth. But I just, I don't know. You'll be, it wouldn't surprise me if he'd be top 60 player at this point. Yeah. I, I think top 60 upside is very realistic and I mean, could be a little conservative uh, based on how hot this start has been. I mean, I think the big thing is he's probably not going to shoot almost 95% at the line probably doesn't end up taking 18 shots a game uh, probably doesn't average 2.3 steals per game. So there is going to be some regression. Uh, but again, I mean, if he, if he can linger around even like 30, 31, 32 minutes per game, I think he could do like a reasonable facsimile of what he's done so far. 
if there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. Lakers got the win last night in overtime uh, against San Antonio, a game that having watched the Lakers the last few years, especially without LeBron, it was the type of game that I just fully expected them to lose. Um, but we saw a, a really good game for Russell Westbrook, especially by recent Russell Westbrook standards. He looked by far uh, the most comfortable and confident that he's been uh, since joining the Lakers. Another good Anthony Davis game. I, I don't know if you happened to catch this one on, on the league pass last night. I thought Anthony Davis was dead. He landed <laughs> awkwardly on, on his right knee late in the game, going for a rebound, I think on a free throw. And the play is continuing. He's like rolling around in pain, as we've seen a number of times from him. And like the the Lakers bench was like was not even like remotely concerned. So that kind of gave me a little bit of like, OK, maybe this isn't that serious. Like they're yelling at him, like, get up, get back in the play. And it ended up being a layup for the Spurs. But he's rolling around, holding the knee and they, they keep showing the replay. It looks like it's non-contact. Uh, and then Anthony Davis just pops up and stays in the game. <laughs> You know, it's bad when your teammates are like, oh, here we go again. Like, yeah, right, right. He does this it's every day in practice. Concerned. Yeah. Um, I did not catch this game, uh, though I had DeJounte Murray uh, in Daily Fantasy, which was great. Um, he finished with 21, 15, 12, two steals and two blocks with only two turnovers. Game yeah. of his life, um, DeJounte Murray had against Russell Westbrook. Um, yeah, yeah you, you mentioned Westbrook took 27 shots. Not surprising. Only got to the free throw line four times. Um, but yeah, definitely his best game of the season. Like kept the turnovers down, good assists, all that. Um, you know, I I I wouldn't be surprised if Westbrook plays at a more like average Westbrook level when LeBron is out. Because I think at that point, who else are you asking on the Lakers offense to like do anything besides him and Anthony Davis? So mm-hmm. they can kind of just have the two man game going. And um, I think that comes natural. To, to those two guys, obviously. So, you know, when when LeBron comes back, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I think Westbrook continues to see his usage drop again, but they're going to, I mean, they're either going to have to figure it out or <laughs> get rid of him. Like, I, I don't I don't know what other options there are. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, like, oh, if they can't figure it out with Westbrook, they'll, they'll just get rid of him like they have with other players or like LeBron has with other players in the past. Other players did not have the contract stipulations that Westbrook has. Like, I, I don't know that that's really an option. And for a team that is hell-bent on making the finals this year, you're not just going to dump him for, you know, some sort of throwaway contract and like a f- two future second-round picks. You know, it's like if you're getting rid of Westbrook, you have to get some sort of value back 
that's going to help you in the immediate future. And I, I don't know what that would be. So, you know, unless you're trading one bad contract for another, um, I, I don't I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think last night was was a really encouraging step uh, for Westbrook. Um, I, I thought he looked good alongside Davis. It, it was more taking turns, I, I thought, than like a two man game. But I, overall, they look really good. Westbrook looked, you know, a lot more comfortable, you know, was not just kind of aimlessly running around with the ball, throwing it all over the place. Um, obviously, LeBron not being there, I think, is the key factor in Westbrook being more comfortable. So the question is, you know, at what point do they figure it out with all three? Uh, but but I mean, that's not a solution in the finals. But for the regular season, maybe the solution is just don't play these three guys together all that much. You know, just kind of keep a triangular rotation where two of the three are always out there. I think I think you're right. I think I mean, I think you really just want to limit um, LeBron and Westbrook. Like, I think I think those are the two guys that you just you want to limit their their time together on the court. Um, I quickly pulled up their numbers when they're on the court together, all three of them. So they've played 61 minutes total together on the court in that time. Russell Westbrook has scored 15 points in 61 minutes. That's 8.8 points per 36 minutes with LeBron and Anthony Davis on the court. Uh, also averaging, I mean, 11 assists per 36 minutes is nice, but like, 13 shot attempts per 36 when he's on the court with LeBron. Like, it's just his usage is so low. It's 21% with LeBron and Anthony Davis on the court that, you know, it's it's just really tough to envision that changing dramatically. So I think you do want them, you know, to, to be more staggered. So Westbrook seemingly has it turned around, at least for the moment, uh, on a one-game basis. Uh, Mike Barner, one of our staff writers, put up an article today on Roto-Wire, seven players, off to slow starts, uh, who you shouldn't panic about quite yet. And and everybody he named, I think, is is established enough um, that you should not be panicking after somewhere between two and four games. But alarmingly slow starts for guys like Damian Lillard, Michael Porter, Devin Booker, De'Aaron Fox, Darius Garland, who's been banged up. Uh, he also included Kyle Lowry and Larry Nance. I, I think Lillard, to me, is probably the most shocking um, like MPJ having a, a bit of a slow start. I, I feel like you can kind of see that coming just because we really only have like one and a half good seasons from him. Whereas with Lillard, I mean, we're going on year like 11 now of him being at like one of the most consistent stars in the league. And three games into the season, he's yet to score more than 20 points. He is a combined two of 24 from beyond the arc. He, he's, he's getting to the line a decent amount, but but not quite at his rate from last year. Uh, and, the, and I think most concerningly, the Blazers are, you know, they got blown out, but they were down like almost 40 against the Clippers the other night and had had nothing going offensively. I, again, Lillard has a decade worth of seasons to point to, indicating that he will get this turned around. But uh, very weird start if you're someone who took Damian Lillard third or fourth overall in a fantasy draft. Weird start, disappointing start. I will say this list uh, also, I think, for the most part, doubles as a guys you should be targeting to trade for if the other fancy manager is panicking um because per 36 minutes lillard's volume is like the exact same as it has been for the past like basically five years so you're not worrying about like his turnovers his assists are the same his number of shots are the same he's just missing them um and like this is the thing about early season like guys who are playing really well early season, guys who are playing really bad early season. We're talking about, for the most part, like three or four game stretches. And every single player in the league 
has a bad four game stretch. Like if Damian Lillard had this four game stretch in January or March, I don't even know would people even be bringing it up. You yeah. know, people are like, oh, Lillard got a bad week. Lillard got a bad week 10 in fantasy. Like, not great. Nobody would even be thinking about, like, what's wrong with Damian Lillard. It's like he just didn't play well for four games. So yeah. I think I think if you, you know, if the guy who has Damian Lillard in your league is in last place, just try to trade for him. Just see what you can get or see who you can trade for him. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I just picked out a random five-game sample in March of last year, or four-game sample, excuse me. Uh, Lillard averaged 21.3 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, shot 34% from the field, and 19% from three on nine attempts per game. So that's that's, just, that's a, a great way to frame it. And that's and that's with you know, and now we're we're talking about a new coach now. He's got a new mm-hmm. coach. The whole bench is first of all, bench is terrible and different. Um, so I think I think it's just you can chalk it up to so many other things besides mm-hmm. that you know he's <laughs> that he's just falling off, you know. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I think Lillard is going to be fine. I think it's going to be a lot more interesting to track whether Portland continues to struggle early on. Yes. You know, they they have one blowout loss one close loss and one blowout win. So it, it's been it's been tough to get a read on on who they are. That blowout win was over Phoenix, so that looks like a pretty good win right now. Um, but we're gonna see. I mean, like you said, I, I think the the coaching change is is kind of underrated. There's been so many new coaches that it feels like Chauncey Billups in Portland has not been talked about at all. Um, but you know their schedule coming up is, is really interesting. Their next four are Memphis tonight, uh, Clippers again on Friday. They're at Charlotte on Sunday. And then at Philly to finish out a pretty tough back-to-back on that Monday. So, you know, if they come out of that, you know, one and three, all of a sudden, I think a lot of the questions that people had about Lillard over the summer, which seemingly went away because he's Damian Lillard and and just has a way of kind of quashing those, um, you know, if if they're bottom three, bottom four in the standings three or four weeks into the season, I I think a lot of those questions are going to start to resurface. I think so, too. And this is another team very much like Chicago 
where you look at this team's depth and it's alarming. Like they have no, they have absolutely no margin for injuries whatsoever, except maybe at center. Um, and like, I mean, they're playing Nasir Little 25 minutes a game. Anthony Simons is 21 minutes a game. Uh, they have Ben McLemore and Tony Snell out there. I don't even think Snell has played so far. Um, no. But well, and Dennis, Norman Powell's been hurt, so that's that's part of the reason Nas Little's played so much. But your point stands. Yeah, even still, it's like he's he's like a go-to guy for them. Like when when one guy is hurt, it's like, well, now we gotta give Nas Little 30 minutes. It's like my like, come on. So yeah, if they can stay healthy and get into the playoffs and have a good seed and they can stay healthy within the playoffs, they still have good upside. But it's just like there's again the margin for error for with them is is really small this season, especially when you combine all that with a new coach. Right, and Larry Nance is another player that that Mike mentioned in the article. He's been I mean he's been non-existent, and I, I was watching him in that game uh, the other night against the Clippers. He did, he's just he's kind of like an energy guy for them, and and he succeeded in that role in Cleveland, but. Like no one's making an effort to get him the ball whatsoever. Like any any kind of stats that he's racking up are like hustle stats. You're like his he's like tip-ins, offensive rebounds, things like that. Like he's really not a factor for this team and, and didn't really look like the impact player that we thought he would be to strengthen, like which is what like you said. I, I think this might be a bottom five bench in the league and maybe one of the worst probably the worst bench among teams that believe they're like at least somewhat in the title chase. Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. Yeah, there's there's not a lot going on there. Robert Covington hasn't given them much. Uh, at least CJ McCollum's been a top five guy so far, so he's played really well. He's been vastly better than Lillard so far. Um, what do you make of Michael Porter Jr.? Well, you know, I think people are were and are high on Michael Porter Jr. for the right reasons. I mean, his you know his his shooting percentage has generally like early in his career has been off the charts. He's you know like practically seven feet tall. He just shoots over everyone. But I think, the, I think the problems within Michael Porter Jr.'s game that people have been worried about are still there. It's like how interested in the, is Michael Porter Jr. in like playing as a real teammate, like being part of the Denver Nuggets and back cutting and getting his teammates involved and playing great defense and doing literally anything else except scoring pull-up jumpers. Um, and so I, it, it's tough to say like, He'll he'll go on a hot stretch and he'll he'll put up insane numbers. He'll put up top ten top ten fancy player numbers for a week. I just I don't know. I I it's it's tough because he doesn't again he doesn't he rebounds well but he doesn't have a lot of other stuff going for him in fantasy. No, and and that was the case last year too. You know, it's it's not like we didn't know that if he's not shooting a ridiculously efficient percentage for a guy who takes that many threes and he's not rebounding, nobody was expecting him to to put up five assists per game or, or block a ton of shots or get a ton of steals. Like if he's not doing those things well, all of a sudden his, his fantasy value could fall off a cliff pretty quickly. Yeah. And he's taken one free throw in four yeah. games. So like he's, he's just lo- half of his shots are from three. So he's just launching threes. Like he's doubled his assist rate from 1.1 to 2.5. Cool. Um, <laughs> that, that's his, like Hassan Whiteside assist percentage. I know it's like that could easily be back down to zero next week. Um, I just so I, I don't know, man, like he's a hold. But at the same time, like it's it's tough because he has the injury history, too. So I don't even like unloading Michael Porter Jr. If you just decide like ah, I'm kind of out impossible, um, maybe not impossible, but like. I don't know, I it's 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 tough because even if he was playing really, really well, 
you could theoretically move off of him and be like, hey, he'll probably get hurt. Um, so it's he has a really bizarre value just in terms of um, if you're trying to trade him or trade for him, it's like really tough to gauge how to like who to throw in the trade, for example. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I think he of all the guys that we're we've talked about or you know, who are kind of the popular uh, slow start uh, you know players, I, I, he's the one I'm most worried about, I guess, just because of the reasons you laid out um, that he doesn't have as many other things to fall back on. Like at least with Lillard, like one, you know, the three point shooting is coming around. Uh, but two, if it even if it doesn't like he's still going to find a way to get to 20 points, he's still going to get to the line. He's still going to give you assists um, like with, with Porter. It's like if that shooting, you know, if, if this is like a, a 10 to 12 game slump, all of a sudden that's kind of a big hole to try to drag yourself out of um, as, as you as you know, as you talk about free throw percentage as the season goes on. Um, have you changed your tune at all through, uh, again, nine days of the NBA season? On, on any like awards picks or you know rookie of the year things like that um i don't remember who i like picked for rookie of the year if i even like really oh here's what here's one thing i will say um you know early in the season everyone was kind of i, I don't want to say zagging but people are picking like jalen green for rookie of the year and saying like uh you know and i don't think it was unfair to be like he could average 20 a game he's gonna take so many shots because uh, the, the Rockets are so bad and the need is, you know, they're just going to funnel the ball to him. And that, that was a reason people are kind of picking him over Kate Cunningham. I don't, to me, that doesn't, I I've thought about that more and the Rockets are way better than the Pistons and the Pistons are going to rely on Kate Cunningham way more than the Rockets rely on Jalen green. Right. I mean, the Rockets have Christian Wood, who's going to score 20 a game. Kevin Porter Jr., who's playing point guard for them, and his goal is to basically average like 20 and eight. And he's at least handling the ball a lot. Like, who else do who else do the Pistons have? Like, I think this conversation like kind of got weirdly out of line. Like, I think it's actually Cunningham who's going to be like more of a volume player than Jalen Green, even though like I think part of it too is Jalen Green. Like, uh, he's just he's so quick and he just gets up shots in like such an insane way with the step backs and all that. But I I'm kind of I don't know if. <laughs> I'm like zagging the zag, if that makes sense. <laughs> the rare double zag early. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, so the odds have already shifted even more in favor of Jalen Green, who's now at plus 250. Uh, Kate Cunningham down at plus 450. He has not played yet. Uh, so, you know, of course, that's that's a big part of the reason for that. I think once he debuts and if he looks good, uh, he could reemerge as the favorite fairly easily because we have one really good game from Jalen Green and we have a few where he's, he's looked not quite as good. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, I, I think that that performance was it Sunday uh, against Boston. Like that was the rookie performance of the year so far. So I, I think that kind of sticks in the mind more than others. Chris Duarte has shot up to seven to one for rookie of the year. He's jumped Evan Mobley, who's at plus 750. Scotty Barnes at plus 750. Um, Jalen Suggs down at 12 to one. Davion Mitchell 12 to 20 to one. Uh, Giddy's 22 to one. I, I would say I would say as of right now, I'm pretty comfortable saying it'll be one of Green, Cunningham, Mobley, and and I guess you have to throw Duarte in there right now just because, you know, the, the start that he's had and, and the role that it looks like he'll be locked into. But right. for Duarte to win it, I feel like almost like all three of those guys, something would have to either go way wrong in terms of, you know, how good we think they're going to be or they'd have to get hurt. Like Duarte winning it, you know, that would be in the Brogdon, Carter Williams uh, discussion in terms of like a lot of things didn't break right for the other top prospects in that draft. I mean, I think the path to Duarte winning it involves Karis LeVert basically sitting out the whole year and TJ Warren basically sitting out the whole year because Carlisle's keeping the rotation very tight. 
Um, and so I think like, cause Brogdon's averaging 41 minutes a game. So bonus is at 41 Duarte's at 38. Um, Justin holidays at 30. Like, you know, he, he's taking a lot of shots. He's taking 17 shots a game. Like his percentage is going to come down all of that. He doesn't really get to the free throw line. He's not really passing, mm. but I, you know, there is a path to, cause it's the two most injury, some of the most injury prone guys in the NBA who are basically, uh, handing him minutes. Um, but I think, I don't know. All, all, all I'm really trying to say is like, I think, I think we're, we've somehow started sleeping on Cunningham and the sort of volume that he could have in, in Detroit, because I mean, the, the, the Pistons have been awful. I mean, Sadiq Bay is taking 16 shots a game for them. Frank Jackson's taking eight shots a game. Killian Hayes is still looking very awful and is shooting 23%, 23% from the field. Um, and is averaging 2.7 assists. So like, I think, I, I, I think it's there for Cunningham. Like I, I, I almost think it's his to lose at this point, even though he's been hurt. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see what Jalen Green does because I, I think he right. he has a head start of a few games, but Cunningham can make that up very quickly. You know, if he comes back and all of a sudden he goes for like twenty eight and eight in his first game, I, those odds are, are going to change immediately. So he's definitely not out of it by any means. I, I don't think anybody has said that he's out of it, but. I, yeah, I, I almost think he I think he's a really good value right now. There wasn't a ton of value in jumping on Cunningham before the season because, you know, he was kind of this wire to wire number one prospect. Everybody had been hearing about him for a year. You, you weren't going to get good value there. But I, I think if you're if you're talking about the betting market specifically, him missing time to begin the year might be the best thing that's happened. Like you said, Detroit, I mean, their offensive rating is like 90. They're at like 90 points per 100 possessions. They are by far the worst offense in the league. And, and I don't know that Kate Cunningham is going to be the savior right away, but he's going to help. And and I think that that you know once he returns, they're going to be a, a noticeably better team. And I think that could help his narrative as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jalen Green's been playing, but Houston is 13 points better per 100 possessions than Detroit's offense. So, Oof. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, I I will say in general for this rookie class, this rookie class has looked awesome. Like mm-hmm. really, really good. Like it could go down as one of the better um, classes, like all time. Like you, you mentioned it with Mobley. He's looked great. Barnes, I think, will. He's been scoring more and passing less, which has kind of been bizarre. Um, Suggs had a good game. Giddy has looked way better than expected. He's not turning the ball over. Um, you know, we haven't even seen seen Kaminga yet. So and Sangoon. Um, I don't know. This, this Davion Mitchell, like locking other teams' best backcourt players down. Yeah. Um, this is a really awesome rookie class. Right. Not a single rookie has looked bad so far. I, I think, you know, James Book Knight not really being in the rotation with Terry Rozier injured is is mildly concerning, but he also looked pretty good in the preseason, I thought. So, you know, I, I, maybe that's just odd man out, you know, not wanting to play yeah. rookies, whatever. Um, like the guy I worried most about in probably the top 10 overall was Josh Giddy, and he's looked way better than I expected. Like he's already had like two better games than I thought he would have all year in their first four games, Franz Wagner has scored in double figures in all four games he's played so far. So, I mean, even the guys that we were most worried about on these bad teams have, have lived up to the expectations so far. Uh, I want to talk about most improved player real quickly, and and we'll keep checking in on this one throughout the season, because I think much like last year, it's going to be a really fun one to break down because there's so many candidates and so many different narratives that you can weave for these guys. Uh, two weeks ago, John Morant was 35 to one to win most improved player. He is now the favorite at the DraftKings Sportsbook at seven to one. I bet him on, I bet him to win this award last year. 
100 to 1, and then mm-hmm. he got hurt and then didn't play very well after that. Um, so I was a year early. Uh, yeah. but you're ahead, of the, you're ahead of your time. I, you know, it was a heck of my time. You know, uh, I was the only one saying John Morant's good. Um, I will go out on a limb. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a bad bet. Um, it's tough because third year guys, obviously third year guys more likely to win it than second year guys. Um, I don't know, man. Like I just, from the eye test perspective, I, obviously the stats are crazy too, but watching John Morant play is almost unlike any it's almost like any anything I've ever seen from a from a basketball player, especially his size. His athleticism is unbelievable to watch. He makes he makes a highlight play every game that's better than what 99.9% of the league could do for the whole year. Um, you know, and he's leading that that Grizzlies team. It's just, you know, I mean, if they even finish remotely close to 500. You know, if they win 38 games, 36 games, I think he's very, very much still within this conversation. Like this isn't a, you know, this, you can win this award if your team is just, as long as your team's not bottom of the barrel, you're kind of in the conversation for this. Right. No question. And and I think this one, you know, it, it can help when your team is successful. It certainly helped Julius Randle win the award last year, but it's not like MVP uh, where, where you need to have a successful team. Like the, I think the numbers probably went out um, more than team success does. I mean, there's there's a reason Kevin Porter is still 16 to one. He's, he's third highest odds. Um, but I, I think Morant, it is, he was almost like too obvious of a candidate. And we talked about this right. in the preseason. I know I talked about it with James. I was like, how is he 30 to one? Like he's like the ideal type of player that you that you think would be able to make this leap, especially when you look at a lot of the recent winners. They're not they're not like role players who turned into like okay starters. They're really good players who turn into great players. That that's who tends to win this award. And Morant certainly looks like he's on that track so far. Yeah. Miles Bridges has shot up the list. He's at 20 to one now. Uh, Tyler Hero's at 16 to one. I, I think right now Morant and Hero are are probably my two favorite bets. And unfortunately, you're not getting as much value three or four games into the season than you were a week and a half ago. Right. I mean this this award is all about like skipping. This award about is about like skipping a level almost in your development. It's about yeah. going from Morant who. I don't think he made the all-star. He didn't make the all-star team last year, did he? Um, no. It's go- so it's going from non-all-star to like superstar. Or it's going from all-star, just, you know, playing playing old all-star to like MVP. Or kind of no-name guy to like legitimate starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like John Morant, obviously, he to me, he fits someone in the mold. It's like, yeah, he could he could go, he could turn into a superstar this year. And that would not shock me because what... I think what we saw from him in the playoffs last year, if you had any sort of reservations about John Morant's future in the NBA, I think the, what we saw out of him in the playoffs last year should have just completely squashed that. He was he was out of his mind in the play-in. He was uh, he was making Rudy Gobert like look like not a real rim protector. Um, so like thirty-five points a game, yeah, that's crazy. But um, it's just this is this almost feels like par for the course, like you were saying. Um, but I, I, if he averages, you know, 25 and eight, you know, this year, I think he's in that conversation, obviously. Looking at MVP, are there any guys who have jumped out to you now as better values than you would have thought before the season or or any guys whose candidacy that you feel noticeably better or worse about? I, I went with Giannis before the season uh, when James and I did our official picks uh, a couple weeks ago. I still feel really good about that. He is... Yeah. Tied for the third highest odds behind Luka and Curry. He's tied with KD 
at plus 650. I, I just think he has the highest floor. Like if he stays healthy, I think he wins it. Like that's really the only thing for me that that probably stops it. I think the Bucks are going to be really good. I think his numbers are going to be awesome. I think he's going to try to play as many games as he can. Um, almost every other candidate, I think, has some sort of red flag uh, led by Luca, who, you know, the numbers are going to be there. But like the Jason Kidd thing has just been weird so far. Like that's yeah. that's been as strange of a of a fit as I think a lot of people thought it would be. Um, I think Luca's so good that it's not necessarily going to matter. But um, I don't know. I, I just I, I feel like this one could turn out a lot like last year where, you know, Luca gets off to like kind of a, a clunky up and down start and some other guys play really well. And it's, it just ends up being a little too late for him to catch up. Yeah, the Luca thing is it's tough. I Jason Kidd might be ruining his chances. I I I don't think it's bad to to you know invest in Curry or Giannis because with the Lakers not looking good, the West is basically wide open, and Curry you know is going to continue putting up insane numbers. Kind of same with the the East and Brooklyn not playing very well. It's like obviously the Bucks could. I mean they were a candidate to be at the top of the East anyway, or the best record in the league. Um. I and mean, if Giannis continues to step his game up, like he, he's not even playing that well right now. Like his, his percentages are down across the board, except his free throw percentage. And he's still averaging, you know, 25, 11, and uh, he's on pace for a career high, six and a half assists a game. Um, farther down the board. I mean, again, I don't, I still don't hate Jokic to repeat at 18 to one. I think Embiid, the Simmons situation is still crazy. As long as he can stay healthy. I mean, that's, that's going to be the thing about Embiid for his whole career in the MVP conversation is like, if this guy can stay healthy, um, Trey young, isn't crazy. Um, you know, if you're going really far down the list, I mean, are you interested at all in John Moran at 35 to one? I I don't know. I 35 to one, maybe I would almost like to get a little more value on that. Like he now has the same odds to win MVP as he did to have to win most improved a couple weeks ago. Right. I, I just think a lot of dominoes have to fall for John Morant to win the MVP, right? I mean, how many guys would have to miss 15 plus games for that to happen? You know, I, I think numbers wise, it's almost a lock that like Luka, Curry, Durant, Giannis, Jokic, maybe even LeBron. Um, I, I think Harden's going to get it turned around. I think Paul George is off to a great start. Like to me, all those guys would have to have something go horrendously wrong for Morant to to really work his way in. Because I, I don't think he's going to continue averaging like 35 and and eight assists and crazy efficiency. Right. Like at, at some point he's going to regress a little bit. So it, you know, it's been a really encouraging start and I think he's going to be, he's definitely going to be an all-star. I think he's, he's leveled up. I, I think he's probably, you know, he's the favorite for most improved for a reason, but I, you know, you talk about skipping a level. I, I think this would be skipping two or three levels if all of a sudden he's the MVP. Yeah. I think it would take the Grizzlies winning like what, 50 games. And he continues to average near 30 a game. Like if he averaged 20, like if Morant averaged 28 with nine assists and the Grizzlies won 50 games, he, you have to talk, we have to, he got to be in the conversation. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I don't, I don't know what's the most unlikely of all those because the Grizzlies have looked really good. They look really deep. Both Melton and Bain look like they've taken steps forward. Bain, especially they haven't even gotten Dylan Brooks back yet. Um, like they, I don't think they're going to get to 50 wins, but I think they're going to no. be, they're going to be noticeably better uh, than a lot of people thought they would. I, like, I I'm trying to think, is there, is there any precedent for a player never being an all-star and then winning the MVP? Um, uh, not that I remember. So the first Der- name Derek that Rose came to mind, it, right? so that's exactly. That's who I was going to say is Derek Rose. He was an all-star. Uh, so he won it in his third year. This is Morant's third year, of course. 
Uh, but Rose was an all-star his second year. Like, he had shown some signs. He, he had a monster rookie season, a monster second season, and then took it up another level in the third. Like, I, I don't know that a player has ever gone... Because, like, nobody was even arguing that Morant should be an all-star last year, right? I mean, part of it was the injury. He just didn't look like himself. But I don't remember anyone saying, like, wow, what a snub. Like, it would be pretty much unprecedented to go from consensus non-all-star to MVP over the course of a year. Yeah, I would have to I would have to dig deeper into this list and see if that was the case for anybody. Um I doubt it, but I don't yeah, think I so think either. The the guys he's around in that range, um you know, that 35 to 1 range, it's basically like Trey is 32, Anthony Davis 35, Paul George is 35, which isn't crazy to me. Tatum at 35 to 1, Booker at 40 to 1. I I've liked Tatum as a sleeper all year. Um, I liked him at 25 to one. Now he's 35 to one. If you're, if you're on points bet, um, I don't know, but he's, his, he's taking like 24 shots a game early in the season. The assists are still up. He's a good defender. He's keeping his turnovers down. Like I am, you know, I think I'm all in on, on Tatum in general, like as you know, moving forward. So I don't think it'd be crazy. The problem is, are the, are the Celtics going to win enough games? You know, cause you mm-hmm. gotta, you have to win. You pretty much have to win 50 games unless it's like the, the Westbrook situation. And it's impressive what his numbers look like, despite a seven of 30, two of 15 from three game to begin the year I know. Uh, in that double overtime game against the Knicks. Like he's still, his numbers still look really good. All of a sudden you take that game out and he's shooting 52% from the field and 45% from three. Yeah. Like, yeah. In those, in those three games, he's averaging, you know, 37, five mm-hmm. uh, block. So yeah, he's someone I'm, you know, I, I think there's still good value on, on him. Um, to to potentially win MVP. Um but yeah, things are really interesting. I mean, I anytime I look at the you know these MVP lists any at any point in the season it just reminds me like how how many like amazing players there are in the NBA right now. Yeah. Um like I again I've said this before on the podcast, but I think in like 20 years we're going to look back on like this era um you know the late teens, the early 20s and be like think of it as kind of like the golden like a golden age or at least like the the point at which modern basketball was sort of at its peak as far as talent goes. I think that's a really good point. I think we'll look at it kind of the same way that maybe I would look back at like the early two thousands when, you know, you see those, I, 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 whatever year they did the all-star game where everybody wore their game jerseys, yeah. you know, and it's just like, you see these photos and it's like, you know, there's five guys huddled around the basket going for a rebound and it's like Shaq Garnett, Carl Malone, um, you know, Tim Duncan, like Gary Payton, like there's, it just seemed like every team had, one or two guys who were like all timers. And yeah, I, I think we're kind of in that same era right now. And it, it almost feels like there's maybe even more talent and maybe that's recency bias. Um, but you know, like I, I, right now I have in front of me the value over replacement leaders from 2011 and within the top 15 are, well, let's, let's go within the top 20 are, here are a few names, Kevin Martin, Lamar Odom, 34 <laughs> year old Kevin Garnett, Manu Ginobili, um, Paul Pierce, yeah, I, I got, you know, Paul Pierce, I guess, is, is somewhat of an all-timer, but I, I feel like now, you know, if you look at some of these modern seasons, like, you can go 20 or 30 deep with guys who are like, that guy's a stud, that guy's an all-star. Um, like, there, there, there are no, like, Kevin Martins of the world able to, to sneak into discussions like that. You know, I think the league is, the league has always had great talent at the top. You know, like, I, I think year to year, like, there's always, like, at least 10 great, great players, but... I think right now, like there are great players going into like you could you could list them off and you get into like the low 30s and you still feel really good about a lot of those guys. 
Yeah. And I know like the, the pace and the scoring is up and everything like that. And so the numbers are like kind of inflated compared to some of those, but I, I still think the point stands like, I don't think we're going to look back in 20 years and be like, you know what? Julius Randall, he was actually a bum, not very good. You know, mm-hmm. Sabonis overrated, just bad NBA player. Like what were we right. thinking? You know, those, those, tw- those 25, 10 and eight games, that uh, was all garbage. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think we're in an amazing era right now. Um, and <laughs> one in which Alex Caruso is going to lead the bulls to the NBA finals. Apparently it's certainly looking that way. I mean, if we project out right now, I think the bulls <laughs> finish 82 and 0. it's, it's the 82 and 0 bulls against the 82 and 0 warriors uh, <laughs> heading into the playoffs. And we kind of see where things go from there. Uh, all right. I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Uh, make sure you check out WinBet, winbet.com. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet is the presenting sponsor of Rotowire Fantasy Podcast. Alex, good to chat with you as always, man. Looking forward to it next week.